how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. This episode is brought to you by IronJohnGear.com. In between your creative pursuits, make sure to check out Iron John Gear for top apparel, footwear, fitness items, outdoor supplies, sports gear, and much more. Visit the website for top deals on things like lanterns, backpacks, tents, snow clothing, bomber hats, sunglasses, fishing gear, and more. Visit ironjohngear.com today and save money on your next adventure. In addition to Iron John Gear, make sure to also check out Freelancer Class, where you can learn how to become a freelancer full-time or part-time. The online course will teach you how to make money online as a writer, marketer, designer, virtual assistant, accountant, or salesperson. Stay tuned after the show to learn how to get access for free to this $99 valued freelancer course, along with some other free items on our website, creativeprinciples.live. Brian Taylor never considered a career outside of filmmaking. In this interview, the writer-director discusses being a showrunner for Happy on Sci-Fi, along with his new horror film, Mom and Dad. Taylor talks about his influences like Stephen King, Steven Spielberg, and George Romero, how he chose to go big with the new film Mom and Dad, directing two very different sides of Nicolas Cage, and how to get oddball movies to the fans that love them. Well, I'm one of those guys who just always assumed that that's what I would do, you know, just from a very early age. It's just uh, I never saw myself holding like a normal job or doing anything of any real value to society. <clears throat> you know, it just, it just seemed like, it, it, you know, I, I just I just always kind of knew I wanted to get into that, you know, whether it was going to be music or writing or movies. Um, that was just kind of my thing. What were some of your early influences? Like what kind of films did you gravitate towards when you were younger? Well, Spielberg, Star Wars. You know, I mean, I, I loved, uh, you know, I just, I loved so many things. But, um, but I, you know, I think, I think Spielberg was probably the guy that made me want to make movies. Seeing seeing Close Encounters and E.T. and movies like that and, and Raiders of the Lost Ark as a kid, um, that 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 pretty much nailed it. That was what I wanted to do. Um, so your new film, the horror comedy Mom and Dad, it's, you know, parents resent their kids, kids resent their parents. But where did this idea originally come from? Well, you know, I'm a parent myself. So um I think for parents, it's kind of easy to see where the idea came from because like, it's just part of life. Um, there's a, there's a quote from Stephen King and Christine that I always love, or, you know, part of um, being a parent is, is uh, killing your kids. Now he meant it metaphorically. 
obviously. Um, but then obviously it also becomes non-metaphoric, but, but that's what we do in genre films is we take metaphor and, and, and make it literal so that we can kind of play around in the mud of it. Um, so that, that, that's, that's where the idea comes from. I mean, there's a, you know, there's a very sort of like awkward and, and, uh, untidy biological truth that says that the moment you fulfill your whole purpose for existing um, and procreate is also the moment that you become obsolete. And you, and that works really well for like fish, right? But it doesn't, so with, with human beings who have all these sort of like uh, um, delusional uh, ideas of their own relevance and grandeur and, and importance and, um, coolness and all that kind of stuff, you know, it doesn't work so well for us. What made you decide to kind of have this like all parents versus one set of parents? I mean, basically it would be like more like the Amityville horror with the set of parents versus like night of living dead where it's all parents or after the children. What made you kind of go bigger with the idea? Well, actually the first night of the living dead movie, the first, the, the original night of living dead, the black and white one is one of my favorite movies. I mean, that's like a top 10 movie for me. So, you know, this movie was definitely influenced by that. Um, and, and, uh, you know, especially the idea that in a movie like this, it can just be this phenomenon that's never explained. I love that. I love how in the original night of the living dead, they never tell you why this is happening. You know, there are theories that are floated throughout the movie, but they never commit to anything and say like definitively, this is why it's happening. I love that because like in real life, you would never know. You just have to react. Um, so, so yeah, that was definitely um, an influence for this. There's a lot of online chatter about, you know, Nicolas Cage finally gets to be Nicolas Cage in this movie. He kind of accepts the whole fandom and everything else that's going on with him. Did you write this role for him? I don't, I, I didn't write it specifically for him, but he was the first guy um, that I went to. And I, and, and you definitely realize that um, if Nick is the guy, he's going to make it, he's going to make it his own in ways that you never could have envisioned. Right. Um, and he's just so creative, but so, so, but you know, you can't imagine anybody else doing it. And that's the great thing about Nick is once he does something, you can't imagine anybody else doing it. Um, what I really like about Nick in the movie, other than everything is, you know, you know, he can go there, you know, he can do crazy Nick cage, like in the second half of the movie. Um, but I really love him in the first half of the movie. And I, I love how he sort of captures the everyday insanity that every dad has, you know, um, there's just something about being a dad, especially if you used to be, um, if you used to be rock and roll and now you find yourself in that, in, in that, you know, cast in this very different kind of like persona, you know, every day, is a little bit crazy. Every day is a little, you know, you've got a little cage in you all the time. And I, yeah. So, so, so I, and I love to, I love the little subtle thing uh, that he does at the, in the beginning of the movie where you can see that this guy is like, he's holding, he's, ha he's hanging on by a thread. Did any like improv scenes come from that or anything he added to that specifically stands out to you? Well, he adds a lot. I mean, he adds a lot. I mean, probably, the thing that will be talked about the most is the, the hokey pokey. Yeah. The sledgehammer. 
Yeah. So, and so, so doing the hokey pokey in that scene, that was all Nick. That was something he came and said, like, I have this idea. I'm gonna, what if I do the hokey pokey in the scene? And of course you love that. And it's like, absolutely. What I didn't know at the time um, until we got into post was hokey pokey is not public domain. Like you actually have to get that song cleared and it's not cheap, you know? So we found ourselves with this like incredible moment in the movie that suddenly became expensive, but it's like, we, we had to have it. So <laughs> um, did did Selma Blair? Do you have her in mind as well for the role? Um, well, I, I knew Selma Blair actually auditioned for Crank, you know, a million years ago, and uh, she she's somebody who I just always knew I wanted to do a movie with Selma. I mean, she's just so funny and and smart and just cool. Um, so this became really quickly just the perfect thing, you know, and it, and it, I think it's a really great role for her because a lot, a lot like, you know, she's a parent too, but a lot like Nick, uh, who's also a dad, you know, you can dress these two up as normal as you want. You can, you can, you can cast them in that role as like typical suburban American parents and give them all the right clothes and and all that kind of thing. But you can tell that both of those, that they're both just punk rock under the surface and, and they're a little off and they'll just never be normal. Um, so I think they, I think they're both perfect in that way and they have really great chemistry together. But I mean, Selma's performance in this movie is awesome. I mean, it's really great. The overall dynamic of movies since you wrote crank and even maybe with gamer has really changed a lot. Do you think that things have improved with, I think I read somewhere that you said Crank might not be a wide release today. Do you think things with Netflix and Amazon have helped things for writers and directors or just changed things in general? Um, well, yeah. I mean, what's happening in the movie business is similar to the what happened in the music business. I think it's just a sea change, you know, to the whole way that we consume visual entertainment. It's, it's wildly different than it used to be. Um, and the economics drive that, you know, the economics state that unless, unless you're the Avengers nine or star Wars 12 or something like that, it's going to be very difficult for you to compete for those screens. Um, and, you know, a, a new star Wars movie comes out and literally you'll go to a multiplex and 14 out of 14 screens will be Star Wars. So it's a very bad climate for odd movies, tweener movies, grown-up movies, rated R movies. It's a terrible climate for that. But the good side of it is that there's more ways than ever to get those kind of movies out there. Um, You know, between Netflix and all the sources for VOD and iTunes. And there's just a million ways to get weird, small movies out there. And, you know, mom and dad is a movie like that. It's a movie that's not going to sit there in a multiplex next to a star Wars movie, but it's a really cool movie that people are going to love. So now there are ways to get those movies to people that there never were before. So it just, it just kind of becomes what your perception is. You know, television also is amazing. You know, television now is like, more risky than movies. And that's just driven by economics because it costs less to put a, to, you know, to put a movie over, over the airways or, or, or a television show over the airways than it does to do prints and advertising and marketing for a, 
uh, for a widescreen release. Right. So you're you're also working on the show Happy on Sci-Fi now. How did that finally come about? I read it's been it's been a few years in the making from the comic book. Yeah, all, the whole that whole process just um, it, you know it's it's a long process. <laughs> I know it's longer than 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 I thought, but I mean, there's just television is a whole different thing. It's like the development in television can take forever, um, but then once production actually starts. It's like a mile a minute. It's faster than anything that I've ever done. And, and it's so fast. I think one of the reasons television is so good now is because the process is so fast that there's no time once you get going uh, to really overdevelop things. So whereas a pilot might might feel um, a little overbaked, once the show gets going, the episodes are coming so fast. You're making them so quickly and you're posting them so quickly and you're getting them out there so quickly that they tend to feel you know, much more they tend to feel raw and fresh um, in a way that um, it's very difficult for movies to do now. So like with Happy or with Mom and Dad, a lot of your films are kind of darker. What advice do you have for someone who wants to write that dark movie but also keep it playful like you do? That's an interesting question. I mean, you know, in terms of keeping it playful, I, you know, for, for me, humor is really important. So, so when things get really dark or really intense, my instinct is always gallows humor. You know, I love black humor. Um, so my approach is always to try to keep it funny. Um, different people have different approaches. You know, there, there are really successful dark movies that are just bleak as hell and with, with no salvation at all. And those movies are also really cool. So I think in general for writing, um, if you're if you're trying to write sort of rated R unsafe sort of material, uh, I think you you have to have a great concept, and I think you just have to be really true to the concept and not um, and not not second guess or, or over edit yourself. Because at the end of the day, it's it's the most pure version of the movie that people will be the most interested in. Do you have any trouble balancing your time between all these projects that you have going at one time? Yeah. I have a lot of trouble with that. And what? It's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> and what do you do to kind of to get past that? <laughs> uh, you, you don't get past it. You just you just wade into the muck and you just try to get you just try to do everything. Um, you know, you 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 have no social life and you and you just try to get everything done. That's all. But but you but you asked for this. You know, that's, you got to keep reminding yourself you asked for this. <laughs> You know, nobody made you, nobody made you do a TV show. You asked for it. Nobody made you do a movie about uh, Nick Cage killing his family. Uh, Nobody made you do that. You asked for it. So now you got to deal with it. What's next for happy. I've seen the first four episodes. Is this a one season or is this a possibly a multi-season series? uh, It's uh, possibly a multi-season series. It's designed to be a multi-season series. So. If people like it enough, we'll we'll get a second season. And so far, the response has been really good. I've read that you're um, possibly working on a Twisted Metal Gear Solid movie or perhaps an all-female version of Lord of the Flies. Can you comment on either one of those? Uh, yeah, I've been developing an all-female version of Lord of the Flies for a long time, um, only to wake up one morning in the trades and read that Warner Brothers was doing that. So that script unfortunately is probably dead in the water although it's awesome 
Um, and then uh, Twisted Metal. It's not it's not Metal Gear Solid. It's Twisted Metal. There's it's two different games with similar names. Um, and that one is a script. It's at Sony. It's really cool. Um, and uh, we'll see what happens. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter. We also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.